Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Well, hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is. As he's revealed himself to us, my name is Tyler. We are continuing our trek in the book of Job. And we've come to chapter 9. And so we have seen Job's not-so-helpful advice from Bildad. And now we get Job's reply to Bildad. And I'm gonna not going to lie. <clears throat> this is a hard text. I mean, Job is hard altogether, but this text has been absolutely heartbreaking. There is a kind of anguish in these words that I have I have wept over this passage. And with God's grace, we will plumb the depths of this hard text and see what God would have to say to us. Picking up in verse 1, And then Job answered, Yes, I know what you said is true, but how can a person be justified before God? If one wanted to take him to court, he could not answer God once in a thousand times. God is wise and all-powerful, who has opposed him and come out unharmed. He removes mountains without their knowledge, or returning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place, so that its pillars tremble. He commands the sun not to shine, and seals off the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens, and treads on the waves of the sea. He makes the stars, the bear, Orion, the Pleiades, and the constellations of the southern sky. <clears throat> He does great and unsearchable things, wonders without numbers. If he passed by me, I would not see him. If he went by, I would not recognize him. If he snatches something, who can stop him? Who can ask him, what are you doing? God does not hold back his anger. Rahab's assistants cringe in fear beneath him. <clears throat> So right off the bat, we get Job's stance of what you said is true, which confirms some of what we've been considering with the friends of Job. That a lot of what they say is true. It's just not helpful. And he affirms that, that what you've said is true. That God is just. That God is... That God does not reject a person of integrity, and he will not support evildoers. That without nuance, we can all say, yes, this is true. But we get into the application, it doesn't always fit. 
And so Job says, what you said is true. But, he says, how can a person be justified before God? And we have a tendency, I think, sometimes to take that. We've, this, this is a phrase that occurs a couple spots in Job. But to take that phrase and make a gospel text out of it. You know, of course, we say, how can a person be justified before God? Of course, the answer is no one. No one is righteous. No, not even one. But that's not what Job's doing. Because this isn't Romans. This isn't Romans 3. We're doing the Romans road and we're sharing the gospel on the street corner with somebody. This is Job's anguish cry. You say be reconciled to God. But how can I be reconciled to God if I am as wretched as you say? That's the context here. This is not optimistic. This is not hopeful. This is not, like I said, this is not a gospel text. This isn't evangelism. This is this is a lament of the distance between God and man, of the difference, the stark contrast between Job and God. He says, if one wanted to take him to court, he could not answer God once in a thousand times. If you wanted to take him to court, that's that's a stark illustration. If you wanted to essentially sue God and make your case known before him, he could not answer God once in a thousand times. There is none that can stay on the other side of the courtroom just to keep that illustration we have a similar phrasing actually in Judges 6 in reference to Baal because when Gideon is called by God to lead Israel to rise up against the Midianites the first thing Gideon does is he takes down an idol at his house he starts with his own his own getting his own house in order and there is there's there's a gathering because this this Baal image has been taken down. And people are calling on Gideon's father, who is the one who put it up, to take care of his son, to teach him what's what. And instead he says, let Baal answer for Baal. <clears throat> In other words, let Baal defend himself. Why are you defend speaking for Baal? And we have a similar testament here. Because let Baal speak for Baal, God will speak for God. God can defend himself. He is not he's not weak, he's not impotent. If you were to take him to court, he would win. A thousand times to none. God is wise and all powerful. Who has opposed him and come out? unharmed. He removes mountains without their knowledge, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place so that its pillars tremble. This is the God of Job, who is wise and all-powerful, that he does big things. Verse 7, he commands the sun not to shine and seals off the stars he alone 
stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He makes the stars, the bear, Orion, the Pleiades, and the constellations of the southern sky. Of course, those are modern terms for what the Hebrews likely would have called them. But he's naming specific astronomical objects in the sky. And while they may have had a different view of the stars and some of this than we do with modern science and technology, he's pointing to the stars. He's pointing to he's pointing to creation, just as Psalm 19 does, that the heavens declare, declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. He says, He does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. And by itself, that would be a beautiful sentiment that God does great, beautiful things. But for Job, is a picture of his power, of his unanswerability, if you will. As we'll see much later in Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? This, this is the difference between Job and God, is God is not necessarily accountable to Job for the way he runs the world, for what he decides to do. God is is a free agent. God is free to be God. And this comes back to um, Job's initial question, how can a person be justified before God if he removes mountains without their knowledge, if he overturns them in his anger, if, as it says in Psalm 2, he shall speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his anger. If it says, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. If this is the God we have, then how can a person be justified before God? And many of us <clears throat> that were brought up in Christianity have often gotten either one side of the coin or the other that we were e either presented with a God who is all justice, all wrath, all morality, all doing the right thing, and all fear. The fear of God was basically the only thing we had to know about God. A lot of people got that. They got all justice, all wrath, all anger. And yet other people, that would, like my background, where you didn't talk about any of that, we, we really hit on God is love, God is merciful, God is peaceful he all these things and he he's he's just nice and these are two things that should never have been separated and i think that's part of the problem we have with this text in job is we've seen that he's wise and we've seen that he's powerful we've seen that he's not accountable to us that essentially god is omnipotent and sovereign and it's easy, I think, for us to consider him being omnipotent but not sovereign because we have this idea of control then. That if, I, if he's just omnipotent, if he can do all things, then I can, I can twist his arm. I can, I can manipulate the outcome. I can wield his power. But if he's omnipotent and sovereign, if he's all-powerful and he reigns, then we have a different conversation. I believe it's in Joel that it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. 
let all the earth keep silent. For every text that says, The Lord reigneth, let the nations be glad, there is a text like that. The Lord is in his holy temple, let us keep silent. There is a text like Psalm 2, He shall vex them in his wrath. He shall break the teeth of the wicked. That's in the Bible too. And it's easy for us sometimes, I think, to try to... I guess, apologize for God in the way we communicate these ideas, the way we think about these ideas, the way we conceptualize who God is. Oftentimes we kind of default to trying to, I guess, apologize for God with the way we explain it. That, Like I said, with having two sides of that coin, that he's either all justice and all wrath, or he's all mercy and forgiveness and love. But you can't separate those two. God is just because he's good. But for him to show mercy, there has to be justice. Because mercy is... It, it coincides with that justice. That we know God's mercy because we know what justice looks like. We know what the justice of God is. Therefore, we can define what it means when God is merciful. When the gospel says that we are forgiven our trespasses and sins, that has meaning. Why? Because God is just. So we can't separate those ideas out. But this is the, the challenge that Job has, is if this expanse is so great, if God is so big, so powerful, so unaccountable to me, how? Can a person be justified before God? Because he does great and unsearchable names without number. If he passed by me, I would not see him. If he went by, I would not recognize him. If he snatches something, to quote Job at the beginning of the book, if the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, who can stop him? Who can say to him, no? Who are we to ask questions to God? Who are we to think we could be reconciled to God, to be just in his eyes? That is the problem of Job in this moment. That is the question of his, of his heart. This is where he is stuck, is how? How do I relate to this God who is so different from myself? And for some of you, that may be the question you are asking today. It may be the question that you are pondering where you are in life, whether you are in the church or outside the church. Maybe you stumbled upon this video of just flipping through Rumble. Maybe, the, maybe you're asking the same questions as Job. How can a person be justified before God? If God is so big and so great and so powerful, so much different from us, how? I think we can start in John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing 
was created, that has been created, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. See, from the beginning, there was God. <clears throat> he made the world, and apart from him, nothing has been made that was made. In him was life. And that life was light. This is God. This is where we start. This is our starting point, is God. And we go to verse 14. And it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he exists before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. And so what this tells us about God is that he's not just detached. He's not invisible, inaccessible, unknowable. With Job, the problem was, if God is so different from me, why should he care about me? Why should he be so concerned with my life? But John tells us that, that Christ became one of us that he put on flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because in these latter days, God has revealed himself to us, that he, he became one of us. Why? That we would become like him. Romans 8 tells us that we are predestined what to walk with Christ to be conformed to the image of the Son and those he predestined he also foreknew that he in some sense knew us before we knew ourselves before we were an idea in this world in some sense God knew us <clears throat> And those he foreknew, he also predestined. And those he predestined, he justified. He declared right before himself. That despite the sins that, that hold us back, the sins that we commit every day, all the lies that we buy about who we are, and about who God is. Despite all of that, in Christ we have been declared right with God. But it didn't come free. It wasn't a fair trade either. Because for us to experience such a wonderful thing, to experience this fellowship with God, something very hard had to happen. 
Because as Paul tells us in Romans, the wages of sin, the payment that's due for sin, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. And so for us to have that life, what happens is someone else had to die. And so Christ dies in our place. This isn't Peter tells us that he was pierced for our transgressions, that we were why did Christ die? That we would die to sin and live unto righteousness. That he bore our sins in his body. So that we would die to those sins and live to what is true, to what is good, to what is beautiful, because it flows from God. In such a way that we become partakers in his nature. Not the sense we become God, but God comes to live in us. That we become partakers in that nature that Christ displayed throughout the New Testament. So 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who prophesied about the grace that would come to you, searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that while God is different than us, God came to us. While many religions offer a formula for getting blessing, getting this, getting that, and it's always essentially climbing a mountain. How does man climb a mountain and get to his God? But the God who truly is doesn't operate like that. 
Because the beautiful thing about the Bible is that a man's God comes to us, comes to him. That our God came to us. Our God lives in us in such a way that we become partakers in his nature. We have fellowship with the God who made the universe. And this is still the same God we see in Job 9. He is wise and all-powerful. Who has opposed him and come out unharmed? But yet God has made himself known to us personally that we may repent and believe in Christ and be transformed from one degree of glory to another. That we would become like Jesus. That we would become like him. That we would conform to his patterns, his will, his way. And be all the more better for it. And when we suffer, that is still a reality. That we are gods. That he is changing us from one degree of glory to another. And one day, we will worship God in an environment where sin, suffering, pain do not exist. This was a reality for Job, it's a reality for us. How can a person be justified before God? It doesn't make any sense if God is out there. If God is just wrath and justice and punishment. But if God is all of these things and more, if he is also a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God who put on flesh and dwelt among us, a different story so as we go into this week let us consider the fact that God lives in us that God has made himself known to us in such a unique way that he didn't stay over there but he came to us when we could not come to him, Christ came to us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the God of the Bible. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4.